Hey everyone, welcome to the Ocean Lovers Podcast. I'm Kirsty, and I'm currently majoring in marine biology. I'm Erica, and I work as a naturalist and marine science educator. Every week we chat about lots of ocean-related topics and have special guests join us to talk about why they love the ocean and what they do to protect it. We hope you enjoy this episode, so let's dive right in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Ocean Lovers Podcast. I'm Kirsty, And I'm Erica. And today we are coming at you with a deep dive. It's been a couple weeks since we did a it deep has dive. Been. Yeah, we've been trying to spread them out. So yeah, but today we are doing a topic that I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, albatross, uh, in particular, yes. the black footed albatross, because mm-hmm. that's the one that we get to see in Monterey. Yes. Um, and we just saw a bunch of them, which I'm sure we'll go into and talk about. We did, which is really cool. And I have some pretty cool stories as well from when I was in New Zealand and I got to see oh, all cool. sorts of other species of albatross. Oh, so cool. I'm excited to hear it. Yeah. I think that was one of those moments that I've talked about in the past where it's like, I didn't realize how cool it was that I was seeing right. that stuff at the time. But looking back now, I'm like, wow, I'm yeah. really lucky to see that. <laughs> All right. But yeah, so, we're going to talk about albatross. Yeah. All right. So we're going to start with the anatomy. Um, so I just got some, I'm just going to, when I try to talk about the anatomy, I try to keep it like basic, especially since albatross, there's a bunch of different species of it. Um, yeah. And maybe so- just in case like nobody knows what an albatross is, just it's maybe it's just a random word that people have never heard True. before. Like what is an albatross? <laughs> know, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Um, basically albatross are large, large seabirds that spend the majority of their time at totally out at sea. They Mm -hmm. only come on land to mate and lay eggs. Otherwise they are spend almost hundred percent of their lives out at sea. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess that's basically what an albatross is. It's a giant seabird (laughs) (laughs) and there's a lot more cool stuff about them and we're going to talk more about it. Yeah. So, um, let me get my picture up. So, um, albatross, they have a bill, which is basically the top part of their nose or, you know, their beak, so to speak. Um, so it's the long hooked bill is made up of several horny plates. That's funny. Um, (laughs) I hope kids aren't aren't listening to this. (laughs) Oh, it's fine. Different species have like different numbers of plates that their bills are made up of. Okay. Um, let's go to the next one in flight. So it says among the world's best flyers, the, oh, so I guess this one right here is the waved albatross. So a lot of them are pretty similar with the anatomy, but this one in particular might be a little different, but I'm just going to go over this one. Um, so, uh, let's see the waved albatross rides the wind along the narrow wings. So their wings are pretty big compared to other birds. Um, especially when they're fully extended, they're huge. Um, I even got a super cool picture in Monterey when we went last time. Um, what was it? Two weeks ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got a super cool picture. Maybe I'll even, I'll probably upload that. Or if we have a better one, um, we'll upload that when we put this episode up, but, oh, they're so pretty. Like when they're fully extended out. Oh, okay. Let's see plumage. So the plumage is, um, in the waved albatross, it has a brown body, which in the black albatross, it also is pretty brown as well. 
Um, it's like a darker brown kind of on the wings. And then you get like, it almost looks like shades of like lighter brown, like in the front. And then they have a little bit of white on them. Um, so the legs. So it says the albatross can stand and walk on land, but the bird sways awkwardly from side to side, a movement um, in courtship, which Erica will go into, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And they obviously have nostrils. Uh, this is to find food or, in, or find its nest. Um, it relies on their acute sense of smell. So it's a really big deal to them. And let's see, and this actually, they have two, so it lies on each side of the bill. Um, They have salt glands, so excess salt is filtered by salt glands located internally above each eye, which I did not know that, and that's really cool. Yeah, that's like one of the coolest things about albatross is because they spend their entire lives out at sea, Mm -hmm. they're able to basically drink seawater and excrete the salt, and so their nostrils on the side of their bill little salty droplets come out of them and they have so glands cool. that can desalinate the water yeah. I know, so they can survive by drinking salt water yeah and then lastly they have their little webbed cute little feet um so this helps them propel and um also helps them swim which with most birds that have webbed feet it helps them with that so yeah that's just a little bit a uh, brief overview of the anatomy and and specifically the black-footed albatross, um, we'll post pictures for you guys to see, but they are so, so pretty. Um, they're, like I said, they're like a brownish color. Their legs tend to be pretty dark as well. And then around their beak, they can get this really pretty whitish color and even their beaks are a lot darker. So they're just so pretty. I love, I love taking pictures of them if they're not blurry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they move pretty quickly. I got quickly. a couple of those and I was not happy. <laughs> Did you have anything about their dynamic soaring that they do? I do not know. Okay, so that's probably one of the most important things about albatross is they're the most efficient travelers of pretty much any animal on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, they're able to travel hundreds and hundreds of miles without flapping their wings. It's oh, this wow. thing called dynamic soaring where they have a type of um oh what is it called it's not like their joints lock into place it's like a tendon where without using any muscle energy they're able to spread their wings and keep them locked like that and just soar along with the winds bouncing off the waves and they've been recorded to travel over 600 miles without flapping their wings one time wow how are they so, able to track that just like by little... putting GPS tags on them, basically. Oh my gosh. And it, it could probably um, detect like if they're moving. Maybe like cameras even. Maybe. But, but yeah, that's just what they're really known for is their soaring technique that they use. So, so they cool. hardly have to flap their wings at all. They just wow. are, yeah, soaring animals. Yeah, that but... is, that's really interesting. I mean, I would think, I mean, it, I would say it's not um, surprising because they are really far out there um but that far is that's that's impressive that they can yeah travel that much yeah definitely and as for where they are located Mm -hmm. most albatross species are found in the summer the southern hemisphere from (laughs) antarctica to australia um south africa and south america but there are four north pacific albatross um, three of them occur 
only in the North Pacific from Hawaii to Japan, um, California and Alaska. And one of them, the waved albatross, I think you talked about it a little bit, breeds in the Galapagos Islands and then feeds mm. off the coast of South America. But the need for wind because of their dynamic soaring kind of depends on where they're found. That's why they're mostly found in higher latitudes because that's where the wind is crossing the places with low wind is really difficult for them because they rely on that soaring technique. Um, But certain albatross are extinct in the North Atlantic, but it's not for sure why they became extinct. It's thought that probably rising sea levels um, might be a cause of that, but it's kind of interesting. Some Southern species have occasionally turned up in places in the North Atlantic and then become kind of exiled or stuck there and remain there for many decades. And one time a black-browed albatross was found in Scotland near a gannet colony. So gannets are other types of seabirds. And it stayed there for many years trying to breed with them or trying to like establish a breeding pair with them, but it wasn't the same type of bird. Um, But yeah, the satellite tags is how they kind of track where they go. Um, That teaches scientists a lot about their range and where they go to find food. And it's thought that they don't go on an annual migration, but they do disperse really far away after breeding. And it's thought that in the southern hemisphere, they usually take circumpolar trips, so they go around the poles. Wow. Um, but yeah, they are mostly found in the southern hemisphere. But like I said, there's only a few that are found in the northern hemisphere, and we're really lucky that we got to see them in California. Yeah, I yeah, that's that's so cool. It's crazy and then how as- far they travel. That's in general for albatross, but then particularly mm-hmm. for the black-footed albatross, they are one of the three species that are found in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, there's around 12 known breeding locations, but almost 98% of them are found in the Northern or Northwestern Hawaiian Islands. So that's where the black-footed albatross that we see in Monterey breed is in Hawaii. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, there is one thing that I forgot to mention. Um, it was kind of kind of part of their biology. And I, I don't even know how I forgot this because it's actually pretty cool. Um, so I guess that, and I believe that this, yeah, this is actually for the black-footed albatross um, in particular in, oh my gosh, I can't talk today. I was trying to read earlier and I literally could not even read like a sentence to Christian. I was getting so frustrated. <laughs> Um, so this is about the black-footed albatross. I don't know in general if this is albatross, all of them, but um, I guess they produce some type of stomach oil and it's yeah. made up of these things called like wax esters or Easter's esters. I don't know how to say it. Um, and I guess it's stored in, oh God, I'm probably going to butcher this word so bad with pronouncing things. Uh, I see the word too. Proventriculus. <laughs> Proventri- Proventriculus. Hopefully I said that right. I think so. So it's part of their digestive system in them. And um, I guess this is used against predators, but it's also 
used to give um, energy and rich food. It's a rich food source for chicks, which I had no idea. So I thought, yeah, they basically like regurgitate it up. Yeah. And it's like a waxy Mm -hmm. stomach acid that they feed their (laughs) babies during. Yeah. Yeah. And they use it for energy during long flights. (laughs) Yeah. That's what it reminds me of. But yeah, I thought I would throw that in there before I forget. <laughs> yeah. And then did you want to talk about their diet, what they eat? Since yeah, we're talking so about eating stuff. I know, acid. right? <laughs> so it's pretty straight to the point. Um, they feed on squid, fish, krill, and other little things on the surface, including like dead things, um, which is why in Monterey Bay, we do see them a lot around orca season. So when we were out there about two weeks ago, um, we saw quite a bit of albatross and we even saw like a, a pretty large group of them, um, which it doesn't always indicate that there's orcas in the area or they're coming. But I mean, a lot of times we try to, it's a pretty good indication that that season is coming, especially in Monterey Bay. Um, so yeah, that's why we see them a lot when the orcas are hunting in for gray whales unfortunately around this time of year around april yeah a lot of times they are scavengers so mm-hmm. they'll eat whatever the orcas killed that day yeah yep. <laughs> um and we've including... been seeing quite a bit of them so yeah that season is coming <laughs> hopefully i'm excited i want to get back up to monterey and try I to know, I know. see those orcas again i know I mean, they've been spotted quite a bit and it's not even April yet. So that's a good sign. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah. something, probably one of the coolest things about albatross is the way that they breed and mate because they mate for life and it's, Aww. they have, <laughs> they have all these courting rituals that they do with each other and it takes them a really long time to pick a mate and then they stay with that mate for life. So it's, kind of similar to humans really when it comes to like (laughs) dating and stuff the more that you read about it the more parallels you see but basically albatross nest on isolated islands Mm -hmm. usually um, where colonies are usually on larger land masses um, oftentimes exposed to headlands and with good approaches from the sea in many directions and I actually when I was in New Zealand got to go to a place where the albatross um, nest and lay their eggs. And it was really cool because we went out on a tour boat there and we got to watch the albatross come in and land and they, they hardly do that. So they're really bad at landing because Mm -hmm. they never really go on land. They only are out on the ocean. So sometimes it takes them a few tries. They'll like circle down, get really close to the ground, then like freak out and then go back up in the air and like they have to try a few times before they make it and sometimes they like just clunk into the ground but (laughs) it takes a lot of energy for them to land because they have to flap so much and they don't usually flap their wings very much when they're out at sea um so yeah that was it um on the otago peninsula in dunedin in new zealand that's one of the nesting colonies down there um but they do have a long life a lot longer than many other birds although some birds can live like you know parrots can live forever it seems like (laughs) but albatross tend to delay breeding for longer and then invest more effort into fewer young so they just put a ton of energy into raising a few babies Um, most species can survive longer than 50 years 
Oh, wow. So that's a pretty good long life. And they reach sexual maturity pretty slowly, usually after about five years. But um, even once they have reached maturity, they usually don't begin to breed for another few years, even up to 10 years for some species. Yeah, I think yeah. I've got like seven on one of mine. So yeah, somewhere yeah. around there, they probably yeah. can start breeding right around five probably. or seven. But sometimes it takes them a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, and then it says young albatross that are non-breeding at the moment mm-hmm. usually attend a colony prior to starting to breed, and sometimes they spend many years practicing the elaborate breeding rituals and dances for well, which albatross are famous for. Um, and it, something that I thought was kind of cool is that they almost have their own language and wow. they have to learn this language and young birds that hang out with older birds tend to learn that language faster. Oh. Um, but Hey, ocean lovers, Kirsty here popping in to let you guys know that this episode is sponsored by Blackfin Coffee. If you guys follow us on Instagram, you guys have probably seen us post it so many times. Erica and I absolutely love Blackfin Coffee, and we really want you guys to try it out. Another main reason why we absolutely love Blackfin Coffee is because they are collaborating with PNW Protectors, which the PNW Protector Coffee is what we've been drinking. The reason why we love it so much is because PNW Protector is a nonprofit organization that helps spread awareness about the Southern resident orcas. So if you guys are looking for a way to support, definitely check out the PNW Protectors Coffee at www.blackfin.coffee. And if you guys want a coupon code, we have a 20% off for you for your first purchase. Your coupon code would be OceanLovers20 for 20% off. Again, that's OceanLovers20 to get 20% off your first purchase. Thanks, guys. Yeah, the behaviors that they do in their courting rituals include preening so like picking at their feathers pointing calling clacking their bills <laughs> staring which i thought was funny <laughs> um, staring contest yeah and then combinations of those behaviors but this is cute so when the bird first returns to the breeding colony it dances with many partners Aww. but after a number of years basically they they choose one partner and the pair is formed, but it does take years of doing dances with different birds before they pick their partner forever. <laughs> I think that's so cute. Yeah. Um, but then they go on to perfect that language that I talked about until it's pretty much a unique language between that pair. And then once they establish that pair bond, it lasts for life. But once they do pick that pair as well, then they don't dance anymore because they're done courting. They found oh. their mate. Isn't that cool? <laughs> That is really cool. I think it's funny yeah. how they just stop dancing. They're like, all right, we're stuck together. <laughs> no more. No yeah. more. <laughs> but the reason really that they, cute. the reason that they put so much effort into like, and time into these dances and courtships is that they want to make sure that there's trust between partners and each partner is going to, you know, put in a lot of energy to raising their chick because that's how they continue as a species um but usually even if they can lay eggs every year they usually don't they usually take a few years off and spend that energy raising that chick um usually it'll take over a year to raise the chick from laying the egg until it's Mm -hmm. ready to fledge the nest 
Yeah. Um, but usually they'll lay one egg, which is white with reddish brown spots. And if their egg is broken on accident or predators eat it or something, then they don't try to lay another one during that season. And like I said, they do pair bond, but quote unquote divorce sometimes (laughs) happens. It's very rare, but it usually only happens if a pair tries to lay an egg successfully for a few years and it doesn't work out. So usually they try year after year after year. If it doesn't work out, sometimes they actually will split up, but otherwise they're usually together for life. (laughs) But all Southern albatross create nests for their eggs. They use grass, soil. Sometimes they'll use penguin feathers, which is cool. Um, But the three species that live in the Northern hemisphere make more basic nests, just like indents in the sand. Mm -hmm. Um, But both parents incubate the eggs. And usually the incubation stints that they do taking turns last between a day all the way to three weeks. But in total, the incubation of the eggs lasts around 70 to 80 days. And it's the longest incubation period of any bird. So it takes a really long time, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But it can be (laughs) a pretty demanding process. And adults can lose quite a bit of body weight, as much as three ounces of body weight a day just by you know, sitting on the egg. Yeah. Um, but after the chick hatches, it's guarded for about three weeks until it's large enough to defend itself and mm-hmm. keep itself warm enough. And during this period, the parents will feed the chicks small meals basically by regurgitating into their beak. And after um, the brooding period is over, the chick, yeah, is fed it basically regular intervals by its parents. Mm -hmm. Um, and they tend to alternate going out to forage. One of them will stay back with its chick and they usually feed them the things that they go out and catch. You, you said it before squid, fish, krill, but they do feed them that stomach oil that we talked about as well. Mm. And it does take the chicks a long time to leave the nest. Usually it can take up to about 280 days. Oh, wow. Jeez. Yeah. So almost a year they'll be in the nest. And yeah, it says about 15 to 65% of chicks that fledge the nest survive long enough to become able to breed. So that's actually not that high, not a great success Mm -hmm. rate between 15% and 65%. Hmm. Yeah. And then on top of that, they don't breed until you know, what did you say? Five? Well, I know that it could be more than seven years. You mentioned 10. Yeah. Up to 10. Out about five. And is but, there some endangered species too? I know that not all of them are endangered. Some of them are. Yeah. Just, I'll get into that as well. Okay. There, yeah. There are quite a few. Um, but once the chicks leave the nest, then they are out on their own and they don't get help from their parents anymore. Mm. Um, and it says that some albatross return to the nest after going out and foraging and just don't even really care or know that their chick left. They're just like, Oh, okay. Go on with life now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but but yeah, that's, do they like, uh, migrate so to speak with them though, or do they just take off? Yeah. I think they just take off. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. So that's a little bit about their breeding behavior. I thought they have really interesting breeding behavior. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. All this stuff. I had no idea about these 
the albatross with how yeah. many times I've seen them. So that's cool. So um, I'm going to cover a little bit of the culture. So I found like a little section that I thought was interesting. Um, so I guess there was a myth back in the day. Uh, let me see if it says specifically where I don't remember reading where this was exactly, but it was just talking about, um, it says that sailors, there's a myth that sailors would, they were believed to shoot them or they harmed the albatross and it just became disastrous, I guess. Um, and it's talking some type of poem, which I cannot pronounce. So I will post the poem on our Patreon page because <laughs> I, I can't read it. Um, but it says in truth, uh, sailors actually, um, they just, they regularly killed and they ate them. And this was reported by James Cook in 1772. So this goes way back. Um, but it says the sailors are, they were reportedly caught the birds, but then they set them free. Um, I guess that there's a, um, I guess back in the day, they believed that the albatross were actually souls of lost sailors. So I thought that was pretty cool. So killing them would bring them bad luck. Um, so that was like a little myth that went around. So albatross, um, they are described to be the most legendary of all birds. Um, so it says they can be the central, they are a central emblem in the rhyme of ancient Mar mariner um and they represent the innocence of beauty of god's creation so there's something called the albatross metaphor and i guess it's coming from the poem which i just spoke about um so i'll try to post that poem so people can see it i don't know i might have to like put the translation because it's not in english so I, I think it's in French. Yeah. So I'll probably try to, I'll do Google translator and then maybe I'll put the original and then I'll post the translation on our. I wonder page. if it'll translate at all. <laughs> sometimes it's like so wacko. When I know translates. sometimes it's weird. <laughs> yeah. But at least we'll be able to see like the general, like what, it, yeah. what it's maybe saying, but um, yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting that they had a little myth that if sailors killed them, then it would bring them bad luck because they so-called thought that these were the souls of lost sailors. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. They're pretty popular with bird watchers too. Birders are a whole different breed. Yeah. <laughs> People <who laughs> are oh, super yeah. into birds. But um, <laughs> yeah, albatross, anywhere that albatross do come relatively close to land, places like Monterey, mm -hmm. Dunedin, where I saw them, Kaikoura was another place where I used to work in New Zealand. We actually oh. had albatross tours where they would oh. um, um, not bait them. What's it called when they oh my gosh, what's it called when you like oh chum. <laughs> I was like chum for oh, sharks. Oh, I've never but, heard of that. Um, oh, yeah, like yeah. put yeah, dead fish and stuff out. Yeah, yeah um, they would do that with the albatross and oh my gosh when you're up close to an albatross they're like mm -hmm. the size of a pterodactyl. Really? They are huge i mean their wingspan i don't know if we really talked about how long their oh, wingspan yeah. can be um oh how long is it i want to say 11 know. feet across maybe 14 feet across um hold on i have it right here oh well mm. the the black-footed albatross has a wingspan of about seven feet across but i okay. think the largest, which is the wandering albatross, has a wingspan of like 11 or 14 feet. I, I could have sworn I saw something about 11. Yeah, really, really One of big. them might be 11, yeah. Yeah, they're huge. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 
Should we talk about their human impacts and threats that they face? Yeah. Um, so basically as Europeans began sailing the world, they also began to hunt albatross, just like how Mm. you said ancient, right. Certain cultures used to hunt them as well Mm -hmm. and use them for food. But of course, once Europeans came along, they over hunted them. Um, they would fish that for them from boats to eat, or they would blast them for sport. Um, but then in the 19th century, certain albatross colonies, particularly those in the North Pacific, were harvested for the feather trade, which led to the near extinction of short-tailed albatross. Hmm. And then now, so 21 species are, 21 species of albatross right now are recognized with a IC or IUCN. And of the 21 species of albatross, 19 are threatened and the other two are near threatened. And then three of those species are considered critically endangered. And oh, wow. one of the main threats of albatross is commercial long line fishing. Um, they often become hooked on the lines and drown. And it's estimated that 100,000 albatross per year are killed by long line fishing. Oh, wow. I had no idea. That's a ton. And That's that is lot. not sustainable. No. Because they reproduce so slowly and they have yeah. kind of a low success rate when you think about it. Yeah. Um, and then there's this place called mid the midway at a atoll, um, where collisions between albatross and aircraft have resulted in both human and bird deaths, um, as well as severe disruptions in military flight operations. Mm. Um, they have taken down tall structures like traffic control and radio towers because 3,000 birds were killed in flight collisions between 1964 and 1965. 3,000 birds in one year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, But then another threat to albatross are introduced species. And we kind of talked about this when Kendra was on the podcast because she was talking about how feral cats are. Oh, that's right. Yeah. A big problem because albatross only breed places where there's no natural mammals or predatory animals on the islands that they live on that's where they choose to breed because they're not threatened but then introduce species like rats or cats yeah directly attack albatrosses or their chicks and eggs yeah um yeah so (laughs) this is kind of crazy but even species as small as mice can be detrimental because there has been a place where basic house mice that were introduced would attack baby albatross and eat them yeah but then probably the number well i would say one of the number one problems of course like any other marine life right now is plastic Plastic. how did i know you were gonna say that (laughs) i know the ingestion of plastic in particular um plastic is unable to be digested by really any animal and it causes it to build up in their stomach, which can stand in the way of actually eating food yeah. and they can starve to death. And yeah. they also can regurgitate it to their chicks and yeah, yeah healthy chicks see, can yeah. die of plastic pollution. Yeah. And you know, what's well, it's not funny, but, um, 
I'm curious on how many people, most people probably listening to our podcast knows what type of plastics they can eat, but some people out there might be like, how are they eating plastic? Like what, where are they? Like, how do they know to, you know, how do they know? And the reason why I say this is because when I went out to Monterey, like what, a month ago to when I made that sand sifter Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, Christian, he asked me, he's like, so what, and he didn't mean this in a mean way at all. And I told him one of these days I was going to call him out on it on the podcast, (laughs) but, um, he, he just kind of asked me, he's like, well, what is, what is the point of this? And again, it's not, not trying to, uh, be mean about it. He wasn't trying to be mean about it towards me. He was just like, literally curious like what type of like what kind of plastics are you are you gonna see like he actually didn't know Mm -hmm. like the microplastics in the stand I mean I'm sure he did but he just didn't think like the birds would eat that and so like I we had this discussion in our car and I and I started getting frustrated because I was like literally like showing him pictures like this is the plastics that are in the sand this is what we don't see half the time you know yeah. whether we're walking on the beach and it's just like this tiny little thing we're like oh whatever but those are the things that these birds are eating and so it took me a minute to like after we had that conversation he's like I didn't mean it in a bad way I just legit didn't fully understand and it kind of made me, it kind of made me think about it. Like, I wonder how many more people actually think that way. Oh, a ton. Um, well, we kind of learned about this when I was in college in my animal behavior class, like why birds eat plastic. Mm-hmm. There's a few reasons. First of all, even if they're not directly eating the plastic, it accumulates in the food that they eat. Yeah. So microplastics in the ocean. So plastic, like a millimeter in diameter if a fish eats that plastic because it's floating around in the ocean and it's a fish yep. and it gulps that plastic, if a bird eats that fish, guess Damn. where that plastic is going to end up inside <laughs> yep. of its stomach. And in like 30 years, there's going to be more microplastic than fish in the ocean. Yeah. So it's bioaccumulating inside of these animals and they can't digest it. So it stays no. and builds up in their stomach. But then also on top of that, I learned this with seagulls. So I don't know if you've ever paid attention to the end of a seagull's beak, but they have like a red dot. Yeah. Their beaks are yellow with a red dot. With the very tip, yeah. Yeah, and the chicks are biologically programmed. It's a reflex to peck at that red dot because that's where they get food. Their parents oh. regurgitate into their mouths. So baby birds peck at that red dot on their parents' beak. But if there's a red microplastic in the sand... Oh they also are going to peck at that red microplastic yeah. because it's a reflex. Oh I, oh, I had no idea. That's so sad. And so there's lots of reasons why they eat plastic. It's yeah. not because they're dumb or anything like that. Right. It's just, we yeah. need to be the ones responsible for not letting it get into the environment exactly. in the first place. Because we are the ones that are putting it there. So we need to manage it as much as possible. Yeah. But I mean, just to end on like (laughs) a slightly good (laughs) note, there are different conservation groups that are working to save the albatross. There's a whole campaign called Save the Albatross by BirdLife International, where they're working with governments and fishermen to find solutions to the threats that albatross face. So 
basically they're trying techniques like setting the long line bait at night. Mm-hmm. Um, they're trying to dye the bait blue. And I don't really know if that's something similar to what I just talked about with the gulls. Like maybe they're less inclined to peck at blue bait. That's something oh, that I'm not okay. sure on, but that was one of their solutions. They're thinking about setting the bait underwater or increasing the amount of weight on lines so that the birds can't dive down and get caught on the hooks. And then using bird scarers um, can reduce seabird bycatch, basically. So there are certain programs and different conservation groups working to protect the albatross, but those are some of the issues that they're currently facing. Yeah. And three out of the 21 species are critically endangered, which means they are at high risk of going extinct in our lifetime, Ugh, that's which so is sad. a bummer. I know. Yeah. I wonder which three those are. Do you have that? If not, mm, I can look it up real quick. Let me see. I don't think I have the exact types. Hold on. I might though. Um, let's see. Okay. I have them. Oh, um, I do too. The Amsterdam albatross, Tristan albatross, and waved albatross. Oh, that's not what I had. Oh, this, it just says not extinct. That's not what I wanted. (laughs) Oh gosh. Which ones were they again? The, that's okay. Um, Amsterdam albatross, Tristan albatross and waved albatross. Okay. Oh, and I think the one, the, the picture that I was reading off the anatomy on, I think that was the waved one. Mm -hmm. Huh. Well, that's sad, but hopefully they're coming up with, with solutions, which it seems like they are trying to solve those problems. So hopefully we can get more, um, more solutions to these problems. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So that is, that is just a brief overview of the albatross and a little bit about the black-footed albatross. Yeah. We hope you guys like that episode. I know that we kind of wish we can go more in depth <laughs> with certain uh, topics, but if you guys have questions, let us yeah. know on social media and we can try to find out some answers and let you guys mm-hmm. know if you are curious about learning more about albatross, we can try to find some different resources as well that we could maybe put on Patreon or something. Yes, if you guys want to links on there. Yeah. Yeah. If you want even yeah. more info. So anyway, thank you guys yeah. so much for listening to Thanks, our guys. deep dive on albatross yeah. and we will be coming at you next week with Ted Cheeseman on the podcast. I think it's actually going to be a go this week. I know we're really excited to talk to him. It should happen next week. If it doesn't, for whatever reason, we'll definitely let you know on our Instagram because that's when I usually post everything on. So you'll get the fastest updates on there. But, and if you guys ever have topic suggestions, definitely let us know. We're always, always happy to receive your messages and And uh, if you guys have a specific animal or organism that you guys want us to cover, definitely let us know. Um, And yeah, so just, um, yeah, we'll see you guys in our next episode. See you later. Bye, Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Ocean Lovers Podcast. For more ways to support our podcast, subscribe to our Patreon for additional content and special perks. Thanks so much for your support and catch a new episode every Friday.